Welcome to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Sean Crow and Kari Williams, where we discuss all things UVA men's basketball. We look forward to breaking down the current team, what's to come in the future, as well as some of our favorite and toughest Wahoo moments. We plan to give you guys the content you love to hear, whether you're a diehard fan that's been around forever, or you just found out about the team this past week. So stick around, lay back, and listen to two average guys tell you all about it. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Hoopin', hosted by myself, Kari Williams, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Sean Crow. And also, we have a very, very special guest joining us today, um, Kevin Cook, who is better known to us in the UVA fandom as Who's Got Next. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I was just telling you, you know, I'm a big fan of your show. I think I've listened to the most of them. Uh, just, just listen to Doug earlier, your last episode with Doug Smith, and that's that's a hard act to follow. So, you guys are doing great, though. Appreciate that. Looking forward to it. And I was, uh, I know we were talking a little bit before the pod about how we got our first episode done. Me and Sean were thinking about, all right, who could we go to for advice, um, feedback, and who's got next is the first thing we could think of. So it's great to have this kind of full circle <laughs> moment. Yeah, you guys have come a long way, man. Long way yeah. for sure. Cool. Well, similar to, I guess, it's turning into a summer series of interviews. Um, so for those that have not been listening, we started off with Lo Davis from Cav Futures, who's the executive director. We followed up with Doug E. Fresh-Smith, a former guard at University of Virginia through the 90s. And then today we start with Kevin Cook, a recruiting expert here at UVA, um, or a UVA recruiting expert, not officially with the program. But um, I don't need to talk a ton about you, Kevin. I'm going to let you do a lot of introduction. And for those that don't know who who's got next, you're in for a treat. So, Kevin, I'll just turn it over to you for an intro. Yeah, okay. So, um, there's not much to tell. I mean, I'm a lifelong Virginia fan. I kind of grew up. Virginia basketball was, you know, I grew up at the right time in the 80s and, and 90s when the ACC was in its heyday and uh, kind of inherited being a Virginia fan for my dad. Like a lot of people, I think, my, a lot of people in my generation will, will kind of uh, identify with that, I think. Um yeah, man, and it's just, it's been a big part of my life. You know, I played basketball growing up. There's, you know, through high school, but there's no, not much to brag about there. But, um, uh, you know, kind of recent years, I got it really into the recruiting thing. And that's kind of what, why you have me here and why people uh, kind of know me. But, um, yeah, the Who's Got Next thing, I, you know, I kind of started on a whim, a Twitter account. It's been a 2016, so seven years ago. And um, it just kind of really took off. I, you know, I first started kind of on a whim and just thinking I would connect with people, you know, kind of like-minded people. And, um, like, immediately it, it just took off. And, uh, you know, from there I kind of went out, branched off, started doing little write-ups on Facebook. I started a Facebook page the next year. And I think that's probably where things really blew up and uh, I got a lot of big following and, you know, it, it, someone asked me this recently or just like last week, like, how did you become like this guy that people, <laughs> you know, hmm. read and subscribe to and all this stuff? And I'm like, you know, I really don't know. I don't know exactly how it happened. It just kind of incrementally, you know what I mean? And uh, then, of course, Locker Room Access, you know, I joined Locker Room Access. They kind of asked me back when it, it first launched. And that's just that's been an incredible ride with those guys. And uh, been really great. So. 
think that's kind of where people know me at this point because that's been four years ago now. More people knew me from from locker room access than kind of those early days just from Twitter and social media. Well, I can definitely say me and Sean have been following quite through the years. Uh, Sean loves to send me an update from a who's got next tweet about who's coming on campus, oh, well, okay. who's coming on grounds, who's got uh, the interviews coming up. Um, just a lot of sound bites and those things. So we've definitely been following from hopefully the very beginning. Sean, I think you were a bit more hip than I was, right? Yeah. I- Kevin, I want to. <laughs> I was going to say, I want to yeah. say, I've been following you since the very beginning with 2016, and and yeah, I can remember, you know, Car and I living in a first year dorm together, and that was back. I think Todd right. Jerome maybe committed like our first month um, at school, so we were, you know, following it back then. And wow, you you guys had a good time in college. If that was your college years, we did for sure. Yeah, we were there. Um, <laughs> 2014 to 18 so good little run and uh yeah well you you had a rough finish but yeah still exactly (laughs) exactly but yeah we uh we couldn't be happier to have you on and and happy that you you know got so into uva recruiting and became the expert you are today so thanks for spending your evening evening with us i don't know about expert but now this is the reason i knew sean was an og and he'll remember this um a few years ago, as it would be 2019, I it was Kyle Guy. It was the five-year anniversary of Kyle Guy's scholarship offer. And I posted that on Twitter. I reposted his scholarship offer announcement. It, at that time, it had 27 likes. When Kyle Guy said, I have a scholarship offer from Virginia, it only had 27 likes. Imagine that. I mean, this is a kid who went on to be a McDonald's All-American. And he, uh, you know, obviously Virginia legend at that point. And that's how much times have changed as far as how people follow recruiting. <laughs> a kid like that only got 27 likes on the scholarship offer. One of those, this is my point, I was getting back to, and one of those was Sean. So he was an original OG liking the, uh, the Kyle Guy scholarship offer in 2014. That's awesome. Sounds like Sean. Yep. Sean's always a uh, hip. And then with the scholarship, I think like he had the iconic uh, commitment. Was it Sean? Was it Kyle Guy with the commitment with the uh, Jordan Elevens that were UVA branded to announce he was committing to UVA? I feel like that may have been how he uh, did his announcement. I can't even remember to be honest. Things were so different back then. I mean, that was kind of the point of reason I was doing that at the time was you know just how little people followed things on a per- like in a personal level on social media at that time compared to now. Like, you know, Kyle Guy got 27 likes. Whatever the last kid that Virginia offered a scholarship to, I guarantee you they got like 500 likes. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> such a different time. Yeah. So how did you uh, just – how did you get into recruiting? Out of all the things you can get into in terms of college basketball, whether that's like being well, really big on the coach or being on the players, like how did you right. fall into recruiting? You know, for me, i kind of fallen out of – you know, I mean, I still follow Virginia basketball, but a lot of, like a lot of people – you know, in my twenties, other things are going on. You know, and it was a bad time for Virginia basketball. You had the the Gillen and Lado years, and I still kept track, but not to the extent. I had become like a big admirer of Tony Bennett, not just Tony Bennett, but more of Dick Bennett, the Bennett family, going back to their time at Wisconsin, and especially really kind of first became familiar with Dick Bennett during their uh, their Final Four run in two thousand. So when they hired Tony Bennett. I mean, I was enthusiastic. I was all the way back in. 
So, you know, after that, I don't know. I just kind of really started. I think that's like the gradual thing with fans. If you become a really, really hardcore fan, you're eventually going to get into the recruiting side. That's just where things lead. That's the next step. So, you know, I got really into that. And uh, Twitter, you know, Twitter at this time, you're going back, you know, 2012, kind of the time it was new. And um, I kept seeing people posting tweets on like the Saber and all these message boards and things you read. I was like, well, okay, I got to join Twitter because that's where all the recruiting information is. That's the only reason I ever joined Twitter. So I um, got on there and really just kind of self-educated myself, man, just engulfed myself in all the, the recruiting stuff, eventually started kind of getting to know people and learning through them. And I don't know what that – Eventually, one day, like I said, kind of on a whim, I was following uh, the July period in April, you know, where coaches are at, which players are watching, that sort of thing. And I was like, I'm going to start a Twitter account because dedicated to Virginia recruiting because I guarantee you there's some other people like Sean out there who I can connect with and, you know, we can talk about this and that sort of thing. And that was really my only purpose. I had no intention of being, like, the recruiting expert. But, uh, yeah, like I said, that kind of took off really fast. Kind of surprised me. In the beginning, I, it was just a kind of a casual thing. I mean, I even check it for weeks at a time. Um, then I started doing some stuff on Facebook, and it, like I said, it kind of built up a following. And uh, I don't know, man. It just kind of one thing leads to another. You, you earn people's trust after a while, which I don't take lightly. And uh, I think that's that's kind of where it goes. Is once you kind of figure out what's going on, and you make some, you know, once you kind of understand what a coaching staff is doing because every coaching staff is kind of unique. So that kind of became my niche is kind of understanding what, uh, what coach Bennett and the staff were doing. And then, you know, like I said, you kind of make connections over time and it's mm-hmm. to a point where people will read your stuff. It's, it's, I don't know. It still kind of surprises me that, that people read kind of some stuff. I kind of got to be honest with you. But <laughs> this is what Definitely. it is. Definitely understand the feeling. I feel like that's how me and Sean have felt recently about the podcast going from like, yeah, we'll just do a few thoughts out there. And then next thing you know, a couple episodes, people are like doing our pick them five and what are you going to do with the team? Exactly. Some episodes that have gone crazy. So um, definitely can relate to the feeling. But um, while we have you as just this recruiting expert that fell into a recruiting expert, um, would love to just kind of hear more about what is recruiting in general and just what does a timeline look like? So I know me and Sean have some questions teed up. So just kind of fire things off. I know UVA has its own special process, but Kevin, what does a typical recruiting timeline like tend to look like? Like, let's say, let's take a flashback. I'm a freshman entering high school. I actually have the D1 talent that I did not have while I was playing in high school. Um, what could I expect from a recruiting timeline to look like? And what does it normally look like for, I guess, most, we'll say, top 100 guys? Well, it depends when you when you emerge. That's the way I look at it. You know, there are kind of – well, we think of it in terms of all these high school kids and they're kind of on the same schedules. But, you know, some of them get found later and it's just – you know, you have the – everything works around live periods in the, the summer and spring. That's kind of where you start is the evaluations and, you know, some players, they may be good. They may not. Some of them kind of improve as things go and they get found later. Some of them just kind of get overlooked until they eventually coaches kind of recognize them. But if you're, if you're a kid that, you know, pops up early and everyone knows about, like you said, the recruiting process starts. If you're a high, if you're a rising junior right now, it's about to get real. 
this is the start of things. Coaches are going to go out on the road here in September. They just spent the summer evaluating them. We've seen Virginia hand out a bunch of class of 2025 scholarship offers, right? There's 11 of them out all within a month or so. And, you know, coaches are going to go out, and their recruiting is about to get real for those guys when they start going visit their high schools. That's just a start. And, you know, eventually they're going to go through next spring into those live periods. I was going to say in April, but they've actually pushed them back to May next year. Um, and, you know, after that is when things kind of get – a lot of those kids will start to go into decision mode. It's kind of that early summer period between May and July. And others, you know, kind of go into the ball. If you ask most kids right now, like most high school juniors, they're starting to be recruited when they're going to decide. They'll say before my senior seasons. In other words, next fall. But what we find is coaches have a different schedule in mind. <laughs> and many of them will commit, you know, like next summer and that sort of thing. But, you know, you kind of, like I said, it kind of goes in groups. You have your early group that emerges early and they're, and there's kind of the they're on an earlier schedule. Next spring there'll be more recruits who pop up. Think of it like you know, for example, uh, Christian Bliss. You know, he, he was kind of in the middle ground. We offered him in spring, but he went in mid early. Of course, he's in roll early and all that. We'll get into that. But then you have later kids that uh, you know, Matthew Hodge just really popped up this summer. Get their recruiting in 24 class. So you know his recruitment is legitimately going to go into the fall. He's barely done anything with it. So it's kind of different schedules and. It is a little complicated. I think that's kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, fans kind of have a hard time with, to be honest. Everyone, you know, they're all kind of on different schedules. Absolutely. Um, so, Kevin, next next question for you. And you kind of uh, actually provided a good transition to this question uh, when you were giving your intro. You, you mentioned that, you know, you're a big Tony Bennett fan and really interested in just kind of learning how he goes about his process. So, uh, one thing, obviously, that most UVA fans are well-tuned to at this point is what we're looking for in a recruit and how we go about our recruitment process is pretty unique, especially compared to some of these blue bloods. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how does UVA go about uh, relationship building in the process? What's kind of unique about our process that that is a little different um, in terms of what we're looking for and, and how we go about uh, yeah, I do think Virginia is a little more – it's just Tony Bennett. I mean, it's just Tony Bennett's way. I think he's a little more um, – recruiting, recruiting is personal to him. I think more so than most head coaches. You often hear recruits talk about it. He's – you know, he's more interested in getting to know them typically than, than them as a player. You know, basically by the time he's recruited him, he's already decided he likes them as a player, right? And is there sort of a – I don't know. I think in a way it's sort of a filtering process. You might think of it that way. I think that's kind of part of it then. But yeah, I think it is more personal with Tony. And um, I don't know. I, I, just, I think that's the big thing with him is it's everything is, is kind of, he has his methods, but it, it's all kind of filtering. If the kid doesn't, doesn't fit, if, if he's not responding to the Virginia message, He's probably not going to fit at Virginia, no matter how good he is and that sort of thing. But I, I think probably one of the unique things that about Bennett's way in recruiting that surprises people when they really get into it is how different his recruiting philosophy is from his playing philosophy, 
which, you know, we think of Tony Bennett as this ultra conservative coach. And, you know, he is, and I'm not knocking him. That's just the truth. You know, their, their style of play is, is extremely conservative and talks about, you know, before you can win, you got to avoid losing. I mean, that, that's, that's his philosophy. But in recruiting, this guy takes a lot of risk. I mean, he's out there. He's, he's all in on kids that he's willing to kind of stake it all. We see it, you know, we see it with, with Con Knipple, what's going on with that right now, if you guys are following that. So we see it all the time, for better or worse. I think fans kind of complain about that. But, yeah, I, I love that about him. I mean, that's how – like I've said this before, if Virginia recruited the way most schools do, they would basically have Clemson's roster. I mean, that, that, that's what they would do because, you know, it allowed them for years anyway. I think it's kind of leveled off to an extent now where they don't quite, you know, have to dedicate as much attention to recruits. But, you know, there was a time when that was basically their philosophy was, you know, we're going to find a kid that should be at Virginia. They're not fools about it. You know, kids that fit, that they can get, and we're going to recruit that guy out of them. You know, hear Tony talk about I remember after the national championship game, he was talking about recruiting Ty Jerome. You guys remember this when he was uh, – well, what was the word? Bull, I bulldogged him. That's what, <laughs> that's what he called And that was how he did everybody. It was, you know, this is the kid I want, and I'm going to recruit the heck out of him. And if you're going to recruit against me, you're going to have to put as much effort into it as I. And that was basically the, the Virginia philosophy, but it, it meant, you know, recruiting fewer players, mm-hmm. kind of putting more eggs in baskets than other people did. But it kind of allowed them to punch above their weight, so to speak, if you know what I mean. Allowed them to get some recruits that maybe they wouldn't have been able to. Of course, it also means sometimes you're going to strike out and there's nothing left when you don't get the guy you want. That's the downside of it. But I always found that interesting. It's kind of a, you know, uh, an opposite philosophy from what people think of as the normal Tony Bennett thought process. Yeah, definitely. And, um, Maybe a kind of a follow-up question that's related is, you know, especially recent years during COVID, we saw that UVA was quite selective in terms of handing out offers. Uh, With 2025, Mm -hmm. they've been a bit more uh, ambitious and, you know, giving out this early wave of offers. So uh, is there a change in philosophy perhaps, or is it tied at all to Ron Sanchez coming in to help evaluate? Um, Yeah, I can't answer definitively. My guess here is that, Behavior has changed because of the transfer portal. People or teams are not investing as much energy in recruiting, at least juniors early, because of how things are going to inevitably change in the spring rosters. You're talking about recruiting kids two years away. From a transfer portal, you know, there's going to be, you're going to lose players, you're going to bring in players. You don't really know what you need two years from now. And you don't really know what your roster is going to be like to tell these recruits. So basically coaches aren't, they're offering kids, but they're not spending a lot of time recruiting them. So I think this is just my guess. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, if so, it's a good idea is, you know, it kind of allows you to stay in recruitments early with less effort than before. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's my guess though. 
And then one follow-up to that, I guess you mentioned that we put a lot of effort and Tony Bennett really puts a lot of care into these recruits. One of the things I feel like me and Sean have kind of seen as fans is that the UVA, I guess, window, it always feels like we get to a kid early and often and he commits like that early on window. It's great. But if he gets out of his junior summer, kind of closing in on getting into senior year or getting past it, it feels like, all right, he's going to go to like a Kentucky, a Duke, a Villanova. Um, Is that pretty much kind of the case that you try to lock him down early? You know, yeah, you can chart it. I've done it. I've written about it there. There's some very distinct patterns to Virginia's recruiting. Um, You know, they push to get early kids on board before July. July is kind of, you know, July is when the big summer live periods happen. Basically, you know, they had Christian Bliss just committed right before the July live periods. That's not a coincidence. Like Buchanan last year committed right before the July live periods. Not a coincidence. They're very aggressive in trying to get kids, the early recruits, on board before then because in part because they need to know what they need so they can turn the page. So anyway, my reason that kind of translates to what you're saying is if the kids they've been recruiting early get past that point, They've already kind of said no a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They've kind of resisted that. So the odds do kind of drop. But it's, it's kind of changed some. I, it's, it's case by case. You know, I think they've um, – like, they're not you – know, I talk about other schools are doing less early recruiting. Virginia's the same way. We're not seeing Tony Bennett out hounding kids, these juniors, the way he used to do. So they sort of set back, and it allows them to stay in recruitments longer. Again, we're seeing that with, with Con Knipple. I don't. I don't think Virginia was really aggressively trying to get him to commit, you know, back in July because he wouldn't have. You know, it would would have been a waste of energy. It's hard to get kids who are still rising to to think about that. So, you know, it, it's case by case. But yeah, I mean, what you're saying is absolutely true. I think that the number of kids who have committed to Virginia who had offers before the summer, who committed to Virginia after July, it's like one ever so <laughs> and that's like a really distinct Bennett pattern the uh, things have changed you know that the behavior changes every time they 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 make adjustments and for example um you know last two years we've gotten commitments from players that were offered in the spring live periods which basically before that there had been like three ever in the Bennett years so you know they're always changing behavior basically emphasizing different things, trying to adjust and get better. And you're seeing that that's going back to the 25 offers. I'm sure they're, they're, they're very analytical about this more than people probably realize. Mm -hmm. If you want to, if you want to get the most heat I've ever taken over an article was one in which I charted and basically analyzed their activity in terms of comparing scholarship offers to like, how many players Bennett went to see, basically breaking it down and showing, you know, this is how it's changed over the years and this is why. Yeah, they don't really, yeah, they, they, they're kind of tells you that they're really aware of those things. They're, they're paying attention to that. So, right. Um, so, next up, we wanted to ask a few quick questions on UVA current recruiting topics. So, we've already talked a little bit about Christian Bliss. Obviously, he had the, uh, decision to reclass and enroll here uh, this summer. So I'm guessing he's probably already on grounds by now. Um, We've kind of seen 
UVA do this, you know, Mamadi Diakite comes to mind. I know his situation was a little unique with um, eligibility and whatnot, but, um, and then uh, even, you know, Dante Harris coming in, you know, enrolling early as a transfer. So this seems to be a strategy that uh, coach Bennett likes to employ when he can of having someone come in early and and redshirt um, in the right situation. So we're just kind of curious. Do you think this is a, a strategy that coach Bennett likes and, and maybe do you think we might expect to see this, going forward more for high schoolers to take advantage of NIL opportunities a little bit earlier, perhaps. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I didn't think about the NIL angle. Sure. Yeah. It's going to come in and, and get paid for the extra year. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think too many of them are, are thinking about that though. It is absolutely something Bennett loves to do. We've seen it a lot of times. Um, I think to him, when a player reclasses back a year, as Bliss had the you know, Bliss was Bliss was originally a twenty-three recruit and he reclassified back a year to twenty-four. I think when Bennett's Bennett sees that as basically a big red sign, I'm willing to red shirt. I think that's the way he looks at that, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, Christian Bliss, you know, Devin Hall did it back in the day, same situation. Um uh, you said Mamadi, Carson McCorkle, you know, he didn't end up red shirting because of the COVID year, but it was the same deal. So, yeah, they love to get guys in early. And when you have a player that's reclassified back a year, you know, basically, in Bliss's case, I mean, basically he was planning to do a prep year that he canceled. So it made sense for him to come early. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as it could happen more, yeah, I think it's going to happen a lot more because they have scholarships. I mean, that's the difference now. You know, nobody's using all their scholarships because of the transfers. Used to be transfers had a redshirt. And those were where those extra scholarships were used. It was on guys redshirting the transfers. And now without that, it's like you always have these extra scholarship or two just tailor-made for that. I mean, basically, Virginia always has two scholarships reserved for potential redshirts. I mean, that's the way they manage the roster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you can get a kid to come in early and redshirt, that's just it's a bonus. And now with – scholarships so easy to come by it's just sure absolutely they're gonna look for those opportunities if you look at the kids they're recruiting in 25 i think there are three of them that i know of that were original 24 recruits and that's going to become a thing with all of them i mean schools are going to try to recruit them come in 24 maybe to red shirt maybe to play whatever but you know yeah it's going to become very common right so it's kind of a good segue to next question so just kind of wanted to touch on what we're looking at in these 2024 and 2025 recruiting classes. You know, obviously Christian Bliss was an original 2024 commit before reclassing to 2023, but there's definitely no shortage of, of names that were, you know, in heavy pursuit of such as Con Knipple, Matthew Hodge, uh, Jacob Kofi. And then, you know, looking to 2025 chance Mallory is a local product. And I think he may be one of the three that you mentioned that was, originally 24 and then reclass and then um jacob wilkins with the isaiah wilkins connection so kind of what's maybe from a roster construction uh perspective uh what are we looking at in 24 and 25 well 24 the the big thing they need is kind of that skilled forward you know you look at their i think they're they're involved for three guys and you you mentioned two of them jacob kofi and Matthew Hodge, if he'd both be visiting in September. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's what they're looking for is that four stretching skilled forward. You know, you spent, you transferred fast forward to 2024. There, it's, it's really, really thin up front. I mean, they've, they've got to have that next guy. You know, you're talking about Ryan Dunn maybe being here. We don't really know for sure, right? I mean, he's getting the NBA draft buzz. And Leon Bond maybe playing a little small ball four, and that's it. I mean, that's your four spot. So they, they've got to have that next guy in. And, uh, yeah, so Matthew Hodge and, and Jacob Kofi are the two kind of uh, main recruits there. People probably remember Matt, that, you know, my age anyway, remember Matthew's dad, Odell Hodge, was a great player at ODU from Martinsville. Um, he settled in Belgium after a professional playing career over there. So Matthew and his, his brother were both raised in, in Belgium before coming over to uh, U.S. this past year. So it's Virginia ties there. Um, and then, of course, Con Knipple. You know, he's the big prize here. Everybody's talking about him. Uh, get out of Wisconsin. Whenever we talk Wisconsin kids, it seems like every time we recruit a kid from Wisconsin, we find that there's, you know, Tony Bennett connections there. It's no different with, uh, with Con. And, um, yeah, he's, you know, you're battling now Duke, and it just, just reported Marquette. He's going to visit there this in, uh, what, late August, I believe. So those are the two schools, main schools, are battling Con. He's a big-time kid. He's a very skilled guard, really can play anywhere one through three. And uh, it's going to be a fight for him. In terms of roster fit, yeah, he's kind of a luxury. I mean, we have – they have McNeely and Rody and – you know, Goliath, Gertrude, all you know, these are guys are all he'll have to compete with. But, uh, you know, Khan's good enough to come in and play wherever he is and see what happens with him. Right. Definitely. And then um, I know it's the picture becomes a little less clear looking to 25 because, you right. know, ro- room in the yeah, 20, right. transfer portal. And... Kevin, we might have lost you there for a second. All right, we'll let Kevin. You guys come on got back. me. Yep, we got you back. You got me. Yep. All right. So, um, yeah, twenty-five. So they're after two guys. You're looking for probably a, a combo guard. I think they would like someone that could play the point twenty-five. Maybe not like the primary point guard because they just got Christian Bliss. But you know, the thing is, when you tra- when you fast forward to twenty-five, Dante Harris may or may not be here. That's his bonus year. So they may need another point guard. So I think you look at a lot of the guards they're recruiting. It's players that are kind of like that. You can play on or off the ball. Chance Mallory very much fits into that. He's a local kid from Charlottesville, plays at Stab for Damon Altizer. Um, and, you know, some others like that. But I think that's the one thing they're after. And then they want that athletic four. You know, they're after the, the skilled guy in 24. And that four stretcher and Hodge and Kofi in 25, it's more about getting the athlete that rim protector, that Akil Mitchell type player is kind of what they're looking for in 25. So you talk about Jacob Wilkins, obviously, Isaiah Wilkins, half-brother. You know we're going to be seriously in that recruitment. And, you know, several of the guys. London Jemison I think is really interesting. Another uh, potential reclass, the 24 kid at Connecticut. Um, but, yeah, that's what they're looking for there. They're looking for kind of that, that next athletic forward who will kind of complement, hopefully, yeah, Matthew Hodge, you know, Hodge and someone like Wilkins, and that would be a pretty good combo of the four going forward. So 
Makes sense. And quick question on 25. Curious if you know any insights on this. Is there a Bryson Tiller connection for that 25 class? I know looking at early rankings and early polls, he's one of those top 10 guys for that 25 class. Uh, seems a little untraditional right. for what UVA is kind of shot for in terms of top starred guys. Yeah, so I was curious about it. Right. Yeah. They offered him a scholarship early. He's a kid out of Atlanta. Um, Coach Williford, I think, has a you know, connection to him. And he went to Peace to go to Pace Academy where Chris Slade was the football coach for years. So, you know, that's Jason Wilford pretty well always made his stop by Pace Academy. I don't know if it was just because of Slade or what, but they had a, they have a great basketball program. So he's now, yeah, made the move to overtime elite, which is, I don't know what you would call it now. It, it used to be professional. I guess it sort of is. They have some kids that are in the professional angle and some that are maintaining their college eligibility, which he is. And he's another kid that could return. It, it, it's a very long shot for him, yeah, but yeah, I think there was enough there to at least uh, offer a scholarship and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And one last 25 question for me before I kick it back over to Sean. Um, you mentioned Coach Williford and then the UVA timelines. Um, one of the ones I love how the 25 class is really shaping up where there's a lot of talent out of that stab team that hopefully we can get over at UVA. Mm-hmm. Um, how has Austin Williford's recruitment looked like so far? Is he looking like, in your eyes, like a potential UVA guy? Is there still time with the UVA timeline? Or does the family ties kind of always make it so that window is pretty open with yeah, him? It's, it's, it's too early to say with him. Um, right now, I think he's, he's a mid-major recruit. He's got – well, St. Joseph's recently offered. That's probably his, his best offer so far. But it's, you know, he's like most kids in 25 class. It's just – you know, if he gets better, he continues to improve. If he has a good summer. He could be a, an ACC recruit. You know, it's just it's a long way to go for these kids. And, he, you know, I think he played with, you know, really, really good competition this summer for a loaded team takeover squad, which Virginia is recruiting his teammate there, Derek Dixon out of D.C. And, uh, you know, Austin was kind of a role player on that team, kind of like his dad. I mean, that was kind of his role. You know, he's a kind of a 3 and D combo guard. I think with him, um, he probably needs to show that he can shoot the ball a little better. He's a good athlete, but he's only about like 6'3". And I think right now he's kind of seen as a tweener, at least at, you know, the highest level in terms of, you know, he's a really athletic guard that isn't quite big enough to be a wing, so he's got to be a combo. Yeah, I just I just think he has some things to prove. But he's, yeah, I mean, he's he's, he's a good kid, obviously, and, got the potential so i think he's definitely one that we could be rooting there before it's over but uh, he's got a ways to go yet that's awesome to hear um just the benefit of us having that 25 class with uh, the family ties that we have in it the staff connections the former trainer or i guess ty jerome still trainer just there's a lot of family ties for that 25 class it's interesting to see how it's going to take shape yeah i think it's going to be really interesting i mean obviously mallory and wilkins are the two that I, you know, I know things are going to get a little crazy with, with the, the, the fans. We've, we've kind of been through those things before. Hopefully they make it easy on us, but, you know, it probably, uh, there's always drama, right? So, right. Drama sells <laughs> too, right? I don't mind that, to be honest. So. Um, yeah, hopefully <laughs> we don't true. have any more uh, London Johnson stories, but <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, go on. I'll pass on that. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, next thing, just wanted to touch on uh, visitors to UVA coming up. So 
There may be more that I'm missing, but at least that I'm aware of in September, we've got Con Knipple, Matthew Hodge, Jacob Kofi. I guess any other names, and are any of these guys close to making a decision? I know Matthew Hodge released his top 10 and seemed like he might be getting close to decision mode. Um, You know, Con Knipple is now entertaining Duke and others. So just kind of where did these guys stand with their um, decision-making timeline? Uh, Yeah, I would think Con Knipple will be done probably late September once he finished. He's going to take those three visits. Uh, what Virginia Duke was Alabama, Virginia Duke, all within a week of each other in mid September, kind of uh, first two football weekends, basically eighth and fifteenth through there. And you know, I expect it'll be over right after that. Look out for Marquette, though. You know, I mentioned that he just scheduled another visit to Marquette. I think Virginia people believe Marquette is their problem. So I think Virginia fans are more worried about Duke. They probably should worry more about Marquette with him, but um. Yeah, I think Hodge, you know, Hodge has taken a lot of visits. I've lost count of how many visits Hodge is taking, but it's probably the same deal. You're probably looking at late September, early October. Virginia is his last scheduled visit on the 21st. So, you know, he's probably going to go into decision mode after that. Uh, the main thing with him is relationships. You know, Villanova, Villanova, Maryland, Virginia are the big three. His high school coach played at Villanova. And he's, he's very close with their family, played professionally with, with Matthew's dad. So, you know, there's a lot of ties to Villanova there. And at Maryland, their assistant coach, Mike Jones, formerly of Virginia Tech, he, uh, he, is, he was a teammate of Odell Hodge at, mm. at ODU. So, another strong tie there. I think Coach Wilford kind of knows Odell from their playing days. So we kind of have our own. But I think those are the big three teams with him. Mm-hmm. Um. Kofi, you know, Kofi has been a Ron Sanchez operation. That one was one that, you know, if you were – usually I can pretty well, after a live periods, tell you who's going to be offered a scholarship. That one took me by surprise. really doesn't happen very often. So, yeah, Ron Sanchez has been the one recruiting him. Um, I think his, he's probably going to be a later fall decision. He's the first one visiting for the home football opener starting, uh, what, the 8th at Friday. But um, it wouldn't be surprised me if he's more like a late October, November kind of decision. He's even talked about waiting until the spring. And, you know, you're dealing with West Coast schools there, Washington, which is – he's from Seattle. So that's uh, – you know, they're, they've been all over him. And, and Southern Cal, I think those are the two mm-hmm. main, you know, main competitors for him. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're probably looking at a situation where if Matthew Hodge were to, to jump – on uh, UVA shortly after his visit, then safe to assume Jacob Kofi would be no more. Exactly. Yep. They're all those two. And David Punch, we haven't mentioned David Punch. He hasn't scheduled a visit yet, but all, all three of those guys are, are being groomed in one spot, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Kari, turn over to you next. Awesome. So I know you talked a lot about UVA specifically, and I know, Kevin, you were mentioning you've been getting into this uh, UVA recruiting since about 2016 with the Twitter, then the Facebook, and all of those things. But would love to kind of just hear your opinions on how recruiting's evolved over that time period, since a lot has changed in seven years. The way timelines are done, to make they've changed. Cut lists are different. Now NIL, you have the NBL was a big deal for a bit, then Overtime Elite, then you also have um, all these other programs just – what what's been going on with recruiting? It's feel like it's uh, just revolving door of changes. I mean, if you're back, 
Right. If you go back there, I mean, the biggest change has been the growth of social media. And I think that's the driving force behind all, so many things you just mentioned is all the, the list cuts. And it, it's become like every recruitment has become like a standardized formula. You know what I mean? It's like everybody's got like the rites of passage. They have to announce their scholarship offers. They have to do the interviews. They got to have the top five tip the nettits. They got, you know, they go, they go through their whole process and it's, it's very standardized now compared to what it used to be. Everything is public. You know, the kids used to be like, I remember following Twitter 10 or following recruiting on Twitter 10 years ago. And I never followed the kids themselves. There was no point to it. Their Twitter accounts were just personal. They were, you know, tweeting at their friends and whatever. Now it's like a PR platform. I mean, that's how much things have changed. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I think the results in all the, I think some things that did rub a lot of the older fans wrong is all the, the hoopla, I guess, the 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 final list and the the big announcements with the that always gets spoiled. You know, <laughs> when was the last time we had a surprise commitment? <laughs> Every kid tells you when it's coming, and then. You know, the crystal balls and all that kind of ruin it. But yeah, then, just, obviously, the big thing just in the last couple of years, you're talking about with NAL and transfer portal, it's just – it's crazy now, man. It's I the Wild imagine. West out there. Yeah. I do love a good surprise, though. I think the most recent one that surprised me, I've really gotten into uh, just how have uh, things changed over time um, and when the people get surprised by it. So I love the uh, – I think it's Flory Bedinga who committed to Kansas recently. We've seen a lot of trends yeah, with him going yeah. to Auburn. Well, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, everyone thought – well, everyone thought he was going to Duke at first. This was within a week time. I mean, we had everyone thinking he was going to Duke, and then he – you know, and then it was always going to Auburn, and now he's ended up committing to Kansas. And that's NAL. I mean, that's all it is. That's just, you know, let's just call it what it is. That's, it's not, and it's not NAL. It's pay to play, but, you know, it gets called NAL. And that's the stuff you're dealing with today. And I, one thing about Virginia is when we played straight, NIL is actually NAL at Virginia. You just had your show at Low Davis, who's terrific. Um, so you know about that. But, um, yeah, I think Virginia doesn't really fish in those waters to begin with. Let's just be honest. We don't really need to worry about Flory Bedinga. So it, it doesn't affect us nearly as much on the high school side. The transfers is where it's crazy. Because, I mean, that's where all the, the real – in it. you know, people don't spend big money on players that may pan out or may not. So most freshmen are of little value in terms of – quote-unquote NIL, when it comes to, really, again, where it's pay-to-play. Whereas, you know, if you were trying to if you were trying to get the most bang for your buck, it's the transfers that make the immediate difference, right? Freshmen might come and transfer before they're ever any good. So transfers are where the big money is, and it's just, it's just that, you know, most of these guys in the portal, most of the top players in the portal are getting, you know, six figures to go wherever, and it's just, School like Virginia, it's, it's it's pretty incredible how good Virginia has been at transfer recruiting when you take that into account. You know, that they're not out there throwing that money around. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely remarkable some of the things you've been able to pull off, just doing things the quote unquote right way. Um, 
But yeah. another question, just thinking about how things have changed, how much does high school actually really matter in terms of the high school season? When I think about it, we've had such a consolidation from over the last 10 years going from AAU truly being actual amateur athletic union to a concentration <laughs> of the shoe circuits. Um, everyone's got these live periods. Instead of having to go around through a bunch of different tournaments, you just got to show up to the four EYBL sessions, maybe the four mm -hmm. or five Adidas sessions, four or five Under Armour. It all culminates, and they're all pretty close together down in Georgia or South Carolina for the mm -hmm. final events. It just feels like everything's changed. So, yeah, how much does the high school season actually even really matter for these kids anymore? Very little for most of it. I know this is something close to you. You're in, you've uh, coached high school basketball. Um, very little in terms of – I think it's, it's important to their development. So, you know, kids get better with their high school teams and their high school coaches because that's where they spend most of their time. But then in AAU, that's basically become the recruiting side of it. You go be seen during the AAU season, and that that's kind of how it is. But, yeah, man, you know, they do, of course, now we have the June live periods where kids do play with their high school teams, which I think is good. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's too much in the summer now mm -hmm. to an extent, so that's a problem. But – yeah, I do like that they – Matthew Hodge, for example. You know, Matthew Hodge took such great advantage of that – those June high school live periods. And that was where he blew up. You know, he wasn't really that great with his AU team. He played on Christian Bliss's team, and he was kind of – you know, he was a role player for them. He was their stretch four guy. And he kind of hung out in the corner on offense. Other guards did things. He didn't really get to show that much of what he could do in AU. With his high school team where he was a featured guy, he showed that he could do it and do it against some really good competition that they got a chance to, you know, to play against during those those June periods, in this case, at Philly Live. So I do think that's interesting, and that's kind of making high school, the high school format, shall we say, more relevant in recruiting. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's it's mostly uh, AU these days. Like, I mean, there's kids that, that don't even play high school basketball now, right? I mean, trying to do that, so. <sighs> it's a dying breed. But with that in mind, um, how has UVA adjusted to the changes? You mentioned high school, not as big of a thing. We've talked about some of the pro options you have or just developmental options, the portals rising. Um, you still have the COVID year, which I feel like has devalued a little bit of um, high school recruits as well, too. Um, just how has UVA adjusted to all these just drastic changes over the last three years? I don't think they've changed much big picture. I mean, Tony Bennett is what he is. You know, he's not really <laughs> – I mean, we know Tony and people call him stubborn, whatever, but he has his way and he's he's not going to change a whole lot. Um, I do think, as we talked about, that they're doing less early recruiting, you know, in terms of spending energy recruiting kids very early on because of the, the uncertainty, the way that we know things are going to change every spring with the transfer portal. Other than that, I mean, I think that's about it, it uh, you know, in terms of affecting high school recruiting. I just – the NIL thing, I'll be honest with you, Virginia coaches, I don't think even hardly bring it up. It's just so not a, a part of what they do. You know, I'm sure kids are made aware that hey, Virginia does NIL. But, I mean, I know for a fact that with a couple of – we had a couple of transfers, actually, or people, not just – not the players, but people associated with them, family members and, you know, coaches and that sort of thing who um, asked me during back just this past April, what kind of NAL can we get at Virginia? They don't, they don't bring it up. So, I mean, I, I've connected recruits 
with people on the NL side of it, how recruits again, people who are associated with recruits, just so they can find out about it. You know, they're not looking to get paid. They're not looking for the, the pay to play. They just want to know what's available at Virginia. That's it. Because we really don't even talk about it. That's how, you know, invented. that's just kind of how it is. And, you know, the thing is, usually those recruits are pleasantly surprised by what they find out. Virginia does pretty well with their basketball players. I think that surprises people. It's awesome to hear. This is a great place for me to throw a quick little shout-out into uh, Calf Futures, the official NIL collective of Virginia Absolutely. basketball. <laughs> cool. Well, Kevin, we know we're getting a little late into the pod. And we thank you for your time. So I'm actually going to pass it over to Sean. We've got some rapid-fire questions to just get your takes All on right. some things that That's are right. important, and we'll get you out of here. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So, um, And thanks, Kari. So we've got kind of like six questions here, going to go like rapid-fire style. So, you know, 60 seconds or less. Um First question, and the, I will say the first four are, are kind of little spinoffs of each other, but first question is, who is the recruit that you most wanted to be a who that went elsewhere? So someone that you thought could have been really successful at UVA that we were after but ended up deciding to go elsewhere? Yeah, for me, that's Jared Butler, which, mm. you know, you, you can't really fault because, I mean, the guy, the guy had a – Pretty great career there at Baylor, but uh, yeah, man, that that's one I really wish they would have gotten. So, yeah, great choice, especially after that Baylor national championship run. Um, so, yeah, second question: How about someone that you thought we would recruit, but we never ended up recruiting? And this question actually came from our friend Who and True on uh, Locker Room Access. Oh man, I'm trying to think. I bet you he's got an answer in mind for him, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, that I'm gonna go with Malik Brown. I always said no, just he was a kid that coming up. I always just thought it made too much sense for Virginia not to recruit him. So I'm surprised mm-hmm. they didn't. But it's just circumstances. I understand, you know, it, just uh, how things worked out there. They kind of wound up with Leon Bond and and Ryan Dunn, and it just didn't work out for Malik. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing real well at Syracuse. So yeah, that one yeah. is right in our backyard, Blue Ridge School. Yep, maybe uh, Amir Sims could could maybe fall in that category yeah, as well. Yeah, that one came to mind too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same school. Great. Um, so third question, how about someone that you were iffy on their fit at UVA but ended up doing really well? Kihei. I mean, uh, you know, we, we all question Kihei, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like if you were to – my honest opinion, if you were to – if I would have been honest at the time, I would have said Kia was basically going to be Tevin Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's what I expected. You know, he was kind of, uh, you know, we, we took him because we couldn't get Jared Butler, and that was what was left. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you want. I mean, obviously, you know, they could have waited until a grad transfer sort of thing. Bennett obviously believed in Kia, But, I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I thought he would just kind of, at best, be a career backup point guard and, get jumped over, maybe transfer or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I expected from PA. Yep, good good choice. Um, so then how about your favorite UVA recruitment? So maybe this is someone that we did a good job of locking up early before a, a blow-up, or maybe it's we had to fend off some strong competition, but what's been your favorite UVA recruitment? Um, yeah, I've told this story before. It's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's Francisco Cafaro. Is because the the story that 
Yeah, well, anytime they recruit overseas kids, there's always some funny stuff going on as far as how we find out about it and that kind of stuff. With Kafaro, it, it was pretty wild the night that he showed up on his visit. We had no idea who he was. Tony Bennett was at a VAF dinner, announced to the crowd he had to leave early to host a recruit, and immediately everybody's anybody started getting messages from people there. Who's visiting? Who's visiting? And <laughs> we were up all night. Everybody, you know, told everybody working every source find out i remember a player's dad eventually was like it's a big guy he was coming in like bits and pieces it's a big guy he's from overseas australia i think <laughs> and yeah, it just came like that we eventually got the name and and then we were like um you know you had everybody working together too that was what's so fun you had like your competitors brad franklin and jamie oaks and you know people and of course i would be lucky i mentioned but <laughs> you had everybody working together to try to figure this out and then we finally got the name, and we were like, well, what are we going to do with it now? We don't know. <laughs> so we eventually, Houston Wilson found an article on site. I don't know how he found it. It's like a local Nebraska story that mentioned that Kafaro had just visited there and was leaving to go to Virginia. And Jamie Oaks was like, all right, man, public domain now. I'm running with it. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> That's how that story became public. Wow. But yeah, I mean, those are my favorite things. It has nothing to do. It's just the funny stories in the background. Right. How we find out things. Yeah. Right. That one was a wild day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's our, maybe he qualifies as our mo- most recent surprise uh, recruit then. Um, so we got. Yeah. Well, the, the overseas kids are always surprising. We had no idea about Igor either. Right. Right. Um, so I've got two more rapid fire questions for you. Um, what is considered a successful recruit or incoming transfer versus what is considered a bust? And this one again comes from who and true um, a few specific examples of players that he would like to know maybe where you see them fitting on this range would be Mariel Shayok, Darius Thompson, Evan Nolte. Yeah. I mean, I got to understand why I would like, if you, you asked Evan Nolte if he's satisfied with his career at Virginia. I got to think it's an overwhelming yes, right? Right. I mean, the guy was a part of He was a contributor on some great teams and got his degree. I think he's he's doing so well off the court that he didn't even pursue a professional basketball career because he had other options. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's all, you know, up to the individual. Um, you know, I, I look at Darius, uh, Darius Thompson. As a, that was a good situation. He was a contributor, again, on some good teams. And he graduated and he moved on and, you know, was able to kind of be a more featured player elsewhere. But I, I don't know. I mean, th- these are all kind of subjective, however you want to look at it. Um, right. But what I don't like with the transfers, I think there's healthy and unhealthy transfers. There, there's guys that transfer because it wasn't working and they had had opportunities and, you know, just wasn't happening. Casey Morsell. You know, he, he's doing well at NC State and happy for him. It wasn't working at Virginia. That's mm-hmm. a good transfer. And, you know, there's situations like Isaac Trout where it's like, eh, he shouldn't have picked Virginia. That, that's just too bad. That's right. unhealthy, and it's just it's bad for the program. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, don't know. I guess that's, that's the only way I know an answer. Mm-hmm. No, de- definitely. Um, so the last rapid-fire question I've got for you is uh, for a four – in the UVA lineup, do you prefer a stretch four that can shoot it or a versatile do-it-all defender? So the examples that were given here were, you know, Sam Hauser and Akil Mitchell. 
Okay, so who's your center? That's the question. In today's game, you need to have like, um, you know, you basically need two things. You need a four stretcher and you need a rim protector in your front court. Your four or five, those those attributes need to be there. So, you know, if you've got Jay Huff, then give me a kill Mitchell. If you've got Caden Shedrick, then I want Sam Hauser. Right. They've got to complement each other. Mm-hmm. That's the key thing here. And the problem is, you know, I, I think we, we kind of romanticize about Akeel and, you know, guys like that, Darian. But the game has kind of changed, and it's really hard to play guys if they can't stretch the floor at the four spot. You, unless you've got that Jay Huff in the middle, the guy that can stretch the floor at center. So, anyway, it's, it's just it's all situational. Um, ideally, you want both, right? You want Akeel Mitchell and you want Anthony Gill. You don't want to choose, right? Yeah, you got me there. You got me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want a good team, that's why we're trying to get Matthew Hodge and Jacob Wilkins. Right. Yeah, those are the two choices there. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Awesome. Love the rapid fire questions. Well, to close it out, um, we got to ask you the, I guess, branded question now for our podcast. So, uh, Kevin, what is your favorite Wahoo moment? And then we'll follow up with what was your toughest Wahoo moment? Uh, favorite moment. Um, look, for me, it's it's the 2014 ACC championship over Duke. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, know, I know that sounds crazy to choose that over the big one, the national championship. But that was just such an arrival moment. Just yeah, still my all-time favorite. Um, and the other side, it's it's the Syracuse game. Mm. Just brutal. It's so brutal. Those guys, I wanted for, you know, you're talking about Malcolm's last game, AG and all those guys, and that that was just so tough, man. Yeah. It's a wild kind of just like book ending. When I think about uh, the national championship in this past season, we have the Kihei pass to the Kihei pass, and then we have the Duke, uh, we have the championship over Duke kind of opening our window, and then the Syracuse uh, loss kind of closing that Final Four window on that same group of guys. Mm. So we've had some yeah. really, really wild storybook endings and how things have gone. Absolutely. But, It's a wild ride sometimes being a UVA fan, but we love it. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate your insights. This was an awesome pod. We loved all the things you had to say about recruiting. And then for those who are listening, um, I'm sure you're going to love it as well, too. But um, as always, like we like to say around here, go Who's. And once again, everyone, Who's Got Next, thank you so much for your time. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, man. It was fun. Absolutely. Go who's.